The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Good morning and welcome along to The Home Show. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, well, you may have visited one of our offshore wild and windy islands, but what is it like to live there? We'll be finding out. Forget playing the lottery? You could have cash in the attic with Barbie all the rage at the moment. Your childhood dolls could be worth a fortune. This weekend, the remains of 13 people, victims of grave robbers, are coming home at last. And Denise O'Connor from Optimise Design on first impressions when it comes to your home. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and you can text us on 53106 for 30 cent and you can listen back to our show and all of our podcasts which are up on the News Talk website powered by Go Loud. Now, very often on the show, we talk about decluttering and paring back and minimalist interiors, but lots of people take a different approach. They love collecting things, displaying them on every surface and are happy to be dusting them down all day. Now, I can't say I collect anything other than books, but there are piles of them and they end up on windowsills and tables and uh, drive me mad. Well, listen, later on, I'll be chatting to someone who loves other people's collectibles. His business depends on it. So stay with us whether you collect Pokemon cards, dinner plates or Barbie dolls. And you're very welcome along to the show this morning. Now, the government was forced to issue a clarification uh, this week when it garnered international press attention uh, about a story where it was offering €80,000 to people to move to one of our many depopulated islands around the country. There are around 30 of them uh, uh, that are not connected to the mainland and the Our Living Islands Initiative plans to invest in infrastructure to help maintain island populations, broadband, work hubs, that sort of thing. Uh, And in the Cree Conaha scheme, uh, it offers generous grant aid to those renovating derelict cottages. Now, the grant, of course, is available to any anybody uh, in the country but worries got a bit crossed in the coverage uh, which ended up being reported in outlets including CNN and the Washington Post but it got us thinking about what it is like to live in an island uh, and whether in fact it is as idyllic as it sounds. I'm only recently returned uh, from the lovely island of Inish Boffin uh, and here to talk to me about island living is somebody who's done it all of her life. Uh, Diane Lee Flaherty, you're very welcome to the home show this morning. Thank you. Gwilmila Magot to Sinead. And welcome to you. Now tell me, you're living on Inishmore. Uh, how many people live there permanently, Diane? Indeed, I am living on Inishmore. Now, I being generous, I would say there's 840 in the winter time. But it escalates into around 2000 in summertime. We're um, very tourist area in summer for the three months. And then we come back to reality in winter. So give or take 840. We've lost three families within a year. That's uh, uh, with three children in, that's nine children in total. So when you go back in census, I'm saying 1841, we had 3,500 people. So we are declining, like a lot of other islands. Indeed. Now, your parents were born and bred there, but you moved and you came back. Is that right? Yes, indeed. So both my parents and and generations are from Inishmore, and um, they moved to London when everybody had to at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was born in London, and they had a house there. So my father decided when I was three and a half, um, we had a small, we still do, small farm on the island and uh, they made the decision to move home. And uh, I 
I was the only one born with five total. The rest were born in, in Arran in Galway. And uh, I came home at three and a half to a thatched cottage, no running water, no electricity, very bleak, uh, not a happy little child at all. <laughs> and uh, I still remember it because my my cat, Fluffy, uh, this beautiful cat I had, was quarantined for six months in Dublin and I cried and cried and <laughs> oh, cried. Dear. You didn't even have the comfort of your of your pet when you returned. But listen, you're still there. So something took off, uh, you settled and, um, in, indeed, and, indeed and you're so. there now. Well, at the age of 18, I was gone again. I was out. (laughs) (laughs) I'd done my education at home. Now, when that time, uh, the village I came from, uh, there was no English to be heard, to be honest. So Mm. I I picked up. I had no choice. Uh, um, Yeah, Irish, I mean. I picked up Irish, I should say. And I'm a fluent Irish speaker now, and I'm very proud of it as well. And uh, I do a lot of my work through Irish, actually. But I was out the door. I was gone at 18 again. I was back to London. And then I went from there to America. And I was there for several years. And I I traveled a lot of the world. And then about 20 odd years ago, um, I came home and I put my roots down. I have a lovely little cottage, 100 years of age. I renovated. And you know yourself, an old cottage, you can never make it into a new cottage. But yeah, life is what you make habit on the island in all fairness. Um, you know, farming, uh, tourism is our main industry, mm. always mm. has been now. Um, it's changed in a different way as well. It's more day trips. As when we were going up years ago, you'd get the same people staying for two weeks. You'd meet them at the beach. You'd make friends for life. And, yeah. you know, you'd meet people that way. Um, the world is changing. The people are changing. And you know what? Um, I'm quite happy on the island. It, it, it's home is home. Home is where the heart is, really. Indeed. And uh, I love I love the island myself. It's a great... I mean, I, I go swimming every morning. I go... The beach is just a stone throw away from me. Um, I, everybody know now where I'm living. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> when I look out the door, I see Don Angus. That's my, that's my view from my wow. front door. I can actually count the people going up and down. I mean, there's nowhere in the world, and I have travelled vast amount of the world that, you know, cannot beat Inishmore. Inishmore. And tell me now, you mentioned there the tourists coming in the summer and the population swells. Uh, what is the biggest difference uh, when you revert back into winter? I mean, I'm thinking a Tuesday in November or, you know, during January when when you're not going to have that tourist population. And I suppose it's a wet and wild place, is it? It is, but it's actually magnificent. And believe it or not, I prefer winter than summer. Really? Why so? I do. I do. I think the stones come alive. They laugh, they smile, they talk to you. It's it's, um, maybe that's the artistic in me. Um, you do get people that come in winter time. You get people all the year now. Our season has expanded. You know, we have a great service. Um, the boat or the plane goes every day, uh, apart from Christmas Day. But um, you get these people, as I say, some people come here to find themselves. Some people are here for the last 50 years and never returned. Now, what about the future of the island? You mentioned there at the beginning that a number of families had left this year and, of course, the population has been reducing. Would you welcome a, st- a scheme which encourages people to move to islands? Uh, or is there more that the government could do if there was money to spend? And goodness knows there seems to be in the next budget. What would you like them to do on Inishmore? 
Well, there's this national policy um, that, that's called Our Living Islands that, that got released last month that you spoke about there. So I'm um, apparently they're going to have vacant home officers appointed mm-hmm. within the next few months. That will be coming out and they probably will do something about Delric houses that are just sitting idle, just sitting there. That um, maybe a hundred years ago, people just closed the doors and headed to America or England and never came back. There is a lot of houses just sitting there. Now, there's also that scheme that you spoke about. And um, although you need to kind of look into that, it's not as easy. You know, they're not the government is not throwing out money either. There's a lot of little red tape you know, um, you need to kind of read the, the, the fine print there. Um, and, uh, I mean, they say there's, you know, for the renovations and there's uh, for the vacants. But there's a criteria as well to qualify, like the property tax, tax clearance, mm. you know, rules and mm. regulations, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's all online. You can actually go into it. Of course, uh, I would welcome it because, you know what, um, if if our island is declining, you know, it, I mean, even I can see it now. It's more mature. It's more of a, a an older population that's left on the island. Mm. A lot of the young age group, they're they're all gone to Australia, mm. and I don't blame them either. I mean, to live to live in Ireland now is hard. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, they're 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 all following each other. When I was that age, we were all going to Boston. We were going to America, mm. California. We were all. Uh, on that boat. I mean, I left myself. I immigrated at 18. But every immigrant's dream is to come back. And I, I'm lucky. I came back and, and I'm quite happy. But I know people that can't come back. They get stuck with their lives. And, um, you know, you put roots down in other countries. It's hard. If you have children, it's, you have to leave at that certain age. Then there are people that came home, couldn't settle. They went back to the States, back Indeed. to the UK. Indeed. You know, there are various reasons. What would you say now is the type of personality of somebody who, who is used to our island life? What kind of person would it suit? Well, it was very successful in Inchman. They offered a free uh, housing for a year. There was a scheme there. It was in all the uses. Uh, oh, there was so many, over a thousand people applied. And it was so successful that actually two families got picked. One family got free housing and the others actually wanted to move and pay themselves. And within that, they had children to go to national school and learn the Irish. And it was very, very mm. successful. I think a scheme like that would be very good here for Inishmore as well. There's a lot of, you know, sit down, talk about it. There's a way around everything. But we definitely need uh, more, you know, families. To, now, we did have three national schools. We're emerging out to, down to two. Uh, and, you know, those numbers are going down. We mm. actually have, um, I went to it myself, it was Garmskalenia, it's now Kulashtaenia, the secondary school. But we're very lucky there because we get transition um, kids in mm. doing fourth year, which they could be about 10. So that boosts, um, you know, the numbers, which is great for the local kids as well. They yeah. make friends, you know what I mean? Indeed. You need that as well. But uh, we also have uh, football, but there isn't much happening for children than teenagers. 
um, this summer now there's a lot of teenagers around there's swimming lessons and stuff there isn't much going on when I was that age there was something to go to seven night discos right. everything like that so yeah. so lots lots uh, to think about if people are thinking an of doing a lot to it. think about and maybe an give, it, give it a go rather than pl- take the plunge alright well listen uh, Diane Niflaharta thank you so much for giving us an introduction uh, to island life uh, I think you're probably the queen of I- Inishmore now maybe <laughs> <laughs> And, say that. <laughs> and uh, we have loved hearing from you and your enthusiasm for it. So thank you so much for joining us on the Home That's Show the this road. morning. People of a certain age and their parents will certainly remember that. The theme tune from Pokemon. Uh, there's an earworm for you for the day now. Uh, and for what seems like many years, the cartoon and its card craze created frenzies everywhere as kids tried to find the elusive characters and swapping them and all of that. Well, if you put away your card pack long ago, maybe it's time to get it out of the attic and see whether it can make you some money. We got such a huge reaction to our item on Barbie core recently. Lots people got in touch saying that they still have their old Barbie dolls. Uh, But are they worth anything and has the movie cost uh, a revival? Well, I'm delighted to say we've Ross O'Sullivan, Associate Director of Herman's Auctioneers and Specialist in Memorabilia here on the show. Ross, you're very welcome back to the Home Show. Great to be back. Uh, What is the fascination with collectibles generally? I think we've always had a fascination. Everyone, uh, if you go right back to people doing their grand tour, have always had a fascination with collecting items no matter where they go. As we've become more global, you have now fascinations and crazes with collecting items that have kind of transversed like continents. So Mm -hmm. you have mass obsessions now with collectibles, electronic collectibles, uh, the likes of uh, cartoons or programmes that may be on. And that's driving this craze and fascination. And are these for the most part people maybe who loved this, whatever it is, as a child and have kept it on like, you know, matchbox, cars yeah. or is that really yeah. or Dungeons and Dragons or Star Trek or Star yeah, Wars exactly. all that stuff yeah it's, it's as simple as for example you'll still have say stamp collectors now who still collect stamps because <laughs> their dad collects stamps okay. but you'll have people then jump through that and who have maybe for example had an interest in Barbie when they were younger um, still had a couple of dolls and then all of a sudden you know as an adult flicking through eBay and they say oh look there's a doll I might and next minute you have someone who's they're whether taking over whether they know house. it or not, are turning into a little bit of a collector. Um, but you have people who do it more so as they, they're looking at it as they've always collected something and they're looking for a new thing to collect. And what do you think is it in, in the human psyche that, and maybe you're the wrong professional to ask because your mm. business depends on them wanting to sell them, don't they, <laughs> yeah, and buy exactly, them. Exactly. But what do you think it is? Is it like a, a kind of a throwback to childhood or is it a comforting thing or, or does it just become a money-based I don't think so. I think it's a mixture. I think people like to be nostalgic by our nature, especially Irish people. Um, on top of that then as well, you also have this idea of people do like to acquire things. They like to have things um, and people display that in different ways. So like you might have people who collect Barbie dolls, mm. you might have people who collect art. Um, it's just, it manifests itself differently, I suppose, in different people. But Indeed, indeed. And is that where people get their stuff? They get it on eBay or there's fairs and auctions and there's all that fairs, kind of There's fairs, there's auctions. Um, there's, again, online has taken over. Um, but what I would say is because it's kind of a global market, most of the high value toys 
are mostly American based because no matter where they were developed, mainly Japan, they were all shipped to the American market. Ah, okay, okay. Right. Well, let's then talk about some of the specifics uh, regarding, and let's kick off with um, Barbie because Mm -hmm. look, we're in the middle of Barbie mania at the moment. It's hard to miss the pink uh, and we've covered it in terms of interiors over the last few weeks. But when it comes to Barbies, what are serious collectors looking for and how much can they expect to pay? What I'd say is the main thing with all collectibles, including Barbie, is that they are as near to the condition that they were bought in as possible. That means that you're in the top tier of value. Okay, Um, people often say age. Barbie is an unusual one that age actually can matter in some cases. Um, For example, you're looking for for a Barbie from the 1960s, early kind of early 70s as well still hold high values. You're looking anywhere from 25,000 to a thousand euro a unit, depending on condition, etc. Wow. Um, but the Barbies that are really worth money now, um, the ones that you'll see kind of on your Instagram feeds, etc., are actually modern, more modern day. Um, the most expensive Barbie ever sold was sold in 2010. And um, it was a Stefano Contori designed Barbie. So Mattel team up with designers ah. and get them to develop. Barbies, this one sold for $300,000. Wowza! Yeah. My goodness. Well, <laughs> that would certainly buy a lot of pink yeah, yeah, in for Barbie's sure. world. So when you say, condi- okay, so condition is important. Are you talking about dolls then that haven't been taken out for childhood and played with and hair done and costumes changed and thrown in the bath? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's top tier. But still, okay. you might have, for example, for Irish people in their houses now, they might have Barbies sitting up in their attic that they they may have bought their kids. Yeah. Take them down. There's a couple of little triggers you can look for, little things you can look for. Uh, for example, if it is pre-1968, Barbie will be stamped on the hip of the doll. Oh, um, right. If you have bendy legs, so if the Barbie has bendy legs, if there's wire oh, in the legs, that's a good... There you go. I had, a, I had a Barbie with bendy legs. I'd forgotten yeah. all about that yeah, since pre-1972. you said. She could sit properly on her sofa there rather than stiff-legged sticking yeah. out. Oh, I'll have to root around for that, right. So there are different genres then for, for different uh, value ranges. Okay, mm-hmm. now we kicked off there with uh, Pokemon. Mm-hmm. It was a m- massive craze. Do people still collect the cards? Absolutely massive craze that again seems to be re- kind of recycling. Um, you know, there is there is new generations of toys and cartoons being developed, but there seems to be re- a resurgence. This resurgence of uh, Pokemon uh, going around is driving up the nostalgia value of these items. Um, you have Pokemon cards that were literally made a couple of weeks ago that are making in- incredible money. So that drives up the price of right. the older ones that we may have sitting in our attics or put away, you know, uh, for yeah. the grandchildren. Okay. So this is about rarity then. And I, I presume that the makers of these toys know that. And for there sure. are certain collections that only come out that they made very few of them. Is yeah, that, is exactly. That and that's what drives the value in the older ones. So the ones that we may have um, and it's what's unique about it is it is completely random. So the manufacturers are developing cards and putting them out to the masses. Um, you know, so you could have as a child bought a packet in Smith's and opened it up, put it away and not know that you have a card there that is worth money or that is valuable. And how would you know? It's, it is very hard to know. You'd need to go either online, there's a couple of card checkers or else again, go to your local auctioneer, 
uh, we're we're in a place where even if we don't have a specialist, we have a network of people who yeah. can at least tell you what you have, um, and then you can decide from that point what to do it. Now, talk to me about the Furbies. <laughs> for, so describe for for listeners who, who can't remember or have forgotten what a Furby is. Uh, Furby is uh, uh, I, I heard someone say it's a cross between a budgie and a gremlin. <laughs> so okay, I think gremlin is yeah, 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 yeah. Little furry collectible yeah, toys. It's a furry yeah. collectible toy. Um, we're really popular in Ireland. Ireland was one of the largest uh, um, the largest order ordering uh, per units in Europe for Furby um, at the time when they came out, and hence there is a large collector base for Furbies in Ireland, <laughs> but in Europe, um, a Furby that is in its box in pristine condition, you can expect anywhere from kind of twelve to eighteen hundred euro for it. Yeah, crazy. Right. Okay, folks. Well, before you rush off (laughs) up to your attic and start looking for your old childhood toys, Ross, um, if somebody does think they have a valuable or a toy or a collection they used to collect um, and, and they really don't want it or don't want to add to it what would you what would you say to them to do um, best thing to do get in touch with ourselves and we can kind of let you know what you have that's the main thing mm. and then you can look around and uh, see what you can decide to do with it it's very easy to, to market collectibles um, so and and if you like do do you have buyers who contact you to say can you try and source X for me or we don't really do it that way because we're an auction house we're kind of like an independent agent what we do do though is we have sales of collectibles on a quite regular basis one only passed recently it was mainly coins stamps and mm. uh, some uh, kind of matchbox cars and model mm. cars and stuff like that but we do have them on a regular basis um, and they are the basis for how we would market our toys and for anybody who wanted to start now with something let's say the Barbie phase Mm -hmm. uh, would that be something what would you say to them like something that might be valuable maybe in 20 or 30 years time you need to look at the trends now so you need to look at go to your seven and eight year olds and see what they're buying oh is that it that's the say the long game of of and we're talking about physical items here because Mm -hmm. it seems to me they're all on screens and and you can't collect that unless you want to get down the NFT route which is a whole different conversation conversation, Um, so what are what are kids buying now or collecting now that some of these will fizzle out of course they won't become a craze at all for sure but what there is is that the toy manufacturers are picking up on this exactly what you said everything's on a screen now and they're trying to relate the screen back to you know physical toys that they can sell in the shop. Mm. So the likes of Minecraft now is a massive um, kind of craze or development that kids are playing on the tablet. But also now you have a version of collectibles that are coming out ah. by the manufacturer. Okay. So that might be a good a good road to go down. Um, because again, we're in a situation now where in 20 years time, I guarantee you Minecraft will be on people's minds. Right, you heard it here first, folks. That's where you're going this weekend to try and find your Minecraft toys. Uh, And of course, if you have a Barbie uh, with or without bendy legs, uh, it is worth maybe getting her valued. Uh, Rasa Sullivan, Associate Director of Herman's Auctioneers. Thanks a million uh, for telling us all about that. Grave robbing, headhunting, it was all part of an inglorious past in the name of medical research. In 1890, 13 skulls were taken from St. Coleman's Monastery on Inish Boffin and historian Kieran Walsh discovered them in Trinity College, Dublin. Well, they're being repatriated back to Boffin uh, to their final resting place this weekend. And joining me now is the campaigner who has been leading the way for this to happen. Mary Coyne, you're very welcome to The Home Show. Tell us uh, a little bit about what's happening this weekend. Thanks, 
million. They'll be going to Plaguen to get the four turkey boat onto Inishbachan and then we'll have a funeral service on Sunday after one o'clock mass and they'll be brought to the graveyard and reinterred. Now tell me how these remains uh, came to be in Trinity College. The Haddon and Dixon anthropologists at the time, as part of their study and their collection in 1893, they stole them from the graveyard and they put them out in the boat and someone asked them on the boat what was in the bag and they said, but So they ended up in Trinity ever since. And I discovered about it through um, Kieran Walsh's exhibition in the Museum of Country Life, maybe nine or ten years ago. So once I knew about it, I contacted him and asked him, really, how do we go about bringing these remains home? So from that, it started. And these were all islanders on Boston? I would think so. We don't know exactly who these people were, but that was the final resting place was that abbey. And he went there in the night and they stole them. And they went to, there was about 40 remains and that little recess in the wall, sacred place in the Abbey, and there's lots of human remains in churches today, like Oliver Plunkett's head and mm. other remains, but they took them from the church. So even if they were people that were on Boston or had came to live there... They certainly they died there. They had, yeah, and that mm. was their resting place, and it was desecrated, it was robbed. So. And, and do we know why uh, the remains were taken? Was it for research purposes? Research, medical science, but these people didn't give permission, so they had no right to take them. And, and they were quite happy just to go there. And they went back to get more, but they wrote in their notes that the islanders had moved them to a place of concealment. So the islanders must have known that they had taken some, so they hid the other ones. And why is it important to you as an islander to have them back now and inter them on Baffin? Because that's the right thing to do. It's as simple as that. That was, if it was your daughter, mother, brother, sister's skull that was disrespected in such a way, you yourself and people listening, if you bring it home to your own person relations, then you would fight for that as well. And are you having a ceremony then on the island when they return? Yes, uh, we bring them to the church and we'll open the coffin and people want to file around and see the remains and mm. then have a few prayers and a song or a hymn or a reading or a poem and then the next day it will be a mass and whoever wants to join in and that, that they're welcome. Now Marie, this has been your passion project I suppose for a very long time. Tell me how you came to learn that the remains had been taken in the first place and, and why, why you went... Walsh's exhibition in the Museum of Country Life. I've seen photographs of islanders and he had photographs when I contacted him of pictures of Inishbotham skulls in Trinity. So that's how we learned about it. And why did you feel it was so important to chase it? Because it's been a lot of work for you, hasn't it? I probably didn't think it would be such a lot of work because I didn't I think like if you steal something, you got caught, you give it back or you end up in jail. <laughs> you know, I, my law on that is very clear, as which is, I think, most people's. But if you steal human remains, you have to go through a whole process and tick a lot, a lot of boxes, which I didn't expect all of this. But and and how really did Trinity uh, react 
you know, when you first approach them and explain the situation to them, were they eager to assist you there? We had to go through a lot with other, like, like all the kind of council, we had stuff to do through to get done. So they'd allow us to reinter them because the graveyard is owned by Tolly County Council. So there was a lot of other small things, but they were things that still had to be done. So it was a long process. Mm, indeed. And uh, it's come to fruition now. Yeah. So you'll be relieved to have them home. And I presume a lot of the islanders will turn out to receive them. Uh, and as you say, there'll be there'll be a ceremony. Is there a plan, Emery, maybe to have um, a memorial or yeah. a, pl- a plaque put up or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, that's done already. And okay. so I'm heading home to Bafa now. And uh, just to get a few bits tidied up out there. And then we're going to go out in the boat and hopefully have some of the smaller boats like a flotilla to come out to meet the main ferry, bringing them in. You see this as them coming home? Yeah, yeah. All right. But there has been a long time waiting to go back to their their grave. <laughs> you know, they're... <laughs> they're rightful, they're rightful that's, home. That's it, yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, Marie, it has been um, a, a long fought project for you and, and I'm happy that it has come to close for you. Uh, and the very best of luck with all Thank of you. those ceremonies that go ahead. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast. Uh, before the break, I was chatting to Ross O'Sullivan uh, of Herman's Auctioneers on the Barbie core craze in terms of dolls and collectibles and Pokemons and all that kind of thing. Uh, and maybe we'll touch on it with my next guest, uh, Denise O'Connor from Optimised Design. You are very welcome back to the show. But today we're going to be talking about first impressions. Hi, Sinead. Thanks so much for having me today. Now, this is important because it doesn't even matter if you're buying or selling. You want to have a good first impression when people look at your house and kind of maybe covet your kind of hanging baskets or your door knockers or whatever. Uh, So talk to me uh, a little bit about the making a great first impression. And I suppose it starts at the gate or the driveway. Yeah, no, it really does. And I think even, you know, obviously, yeah, people want their house to look good and they want it to look impressive and everybody wants to be the envy of everyone else on the street. But even for yourself, you know, when you pull up outside your house, you want to feel good about it. You don't want lots of things looking at you going, oh, I have to deal with that or I have to fix Jobs that. for the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. So I suppose the first thing to do is look at the surfaces outside because that can look very scrappy. You know, whether you've got tarmac or gravel with loads of weeds coming up or cracked paving, bits of grout that are missing. So maybe start by that. You know, is there anything you need to do there? Is it as simple as power hosing everything down, freshening it up, getting things fixed? So anything that's broken definitely tackle that and get it fixed. Okay. And uh, once that is uh, done, then we're we're arriving at the front door. Uh, You might have steps up to it or, you know, it might be PVC or it could be mahogany or what is on trend at the moment? So I think, well, with your front door, the first thing is ask yourself, is it performing well? You know, is it is it warped? Is it a very old door? Do you have problems in the wintertime? Because we all forget about winter now that it's summertime, uh, even though the weather's trying to remind us um, at the moment. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, so if you've got a drafty front door, maybe it's really worth thinking about replacing it. And there's so many options out there from Aluclad, which is like aluminium um, with timber inside. You've got, as you mentioned, PVC or timber. So lots and lots of options. And the wonderful thing now is they come in so many colours, you mm. know, so you have so many colours to, to choose from. Um, and when you're trying to pick a colour for your front door, think about the sort of the materials that are on your house. So is it brick? Is it rendered? What colour is the house? And just choose something that kind of complements it. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to go neutral. You could go really bold. So you could have loads of fun with it. Like we've um, had clients who say had a red brick house and painted their door really vibrant turquoise. Or we've had other clients who've gone for vivid orange, you know, and these things can look amazing, like really, really beautiful and really stand out. And that's an amazing way to give your whole whole house a lift. So if you have maybe one of those old kind of 1990s uh, dark brown wood, yes. uh, is it is it a DIY job? Can you strip it back and, yeah. and give it a go? Yeah, absolutely. And even like, you know, Instagram, there's fabulous tips and tutorials, you know, <laughs> YouTube. So it's it's yeah. just so easy nowadays to to get access to all the tips and tricks. But also your local paint store, like those guys have an amazing wealth of mm. information and knowledge. So lean on them a little bit to get advice. Now, door furniture, what, what do we mean by that? So that's everything from the knob, the knocker, the brassware, or, you know, most people would have brass or maybe it's chrome, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it can get really tarnished, especially with our climate. Things tend to discolour and, you know, it's, it's a chore. We're not all out there every weekend mm. touching them up. So maybe they need to be replaced. Um, some of the older stuff, which is really lovely, can be taken away and refurbished. So you could look into that or if you want to just go for a whole new look. Again, there's so many to choose from. And it is a kind of a simple change you can make and not terribly expensive. I mean, even something as simple as your your door's number or yes. or yeah. if you have a name on exactly. your house. Yeah, yeah. Or if you've got an older home with, say, a fanlight or a, a glass section above, really lovely thing is to get a hand-painted sign or you can get stick-on signs now and they come in all different sizes. So like you're saying, you could have the name of the house, even the name of the street I've seen people do as well. So it can be a really lovely way just to add a little bit of personality to your mm. house. OK, now glass panels, because a lot yes. of doors do come with glass panels, yes. either kind of that uh, stained glass, like leaded glass yeah. or the, the kind of now a little bit twee, you know, that diamond leaded yes, thing. Yeah, yeah, Maybe that's yeah. super fashionable again. I don't know, but I, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, so can you swap out some of that easily or are you just better off completely replacing the door? No, you can totally swap it out. So again, say if you've got the beautiful stained glass and often some of them, you know, over the years have been replaced with that nasty textured glass and things like that. Mm. You've seen that. So there are wonderful companies who will uh, specialise in restoring those beautiful old stained glass. So it, it will look as good as it did the day it was put in mm. many years ago. Um, the other thing you can do then if it's that like that diamondy glass, the leaded glass or any of those awful textured glasses that people don't like, those can easily be replaced. Um, so you can go with a frosted glass, maybe an opalized glass if you're worried about privacy or clear glass, which is going to really brighten up the space. Mm. And that's a good tip for a hall because hallways tend to be very dark. Mm. So by introducing some clear glass panels, you're going to instantly Brighten Create up light, the whole space. of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're a great one for the storage solutions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting away everything and keeping everything neat and tidy. When I'm thinking of front doors and driveways, I'm thinking of bike 
snacks. I'm thinking of buckets. I'm thinking yes, of yeah, bits yeah. for the car or kids' toys or whatever. So uh, storage solutions. Then you're would you're probably going to be t- talking about get rid of them. <laughs> well, yes, that's my first thing is always get rid of as much as, as you can. I mean, I think we're all guilty of having far too m- many things and especially people with kids. Kids, they just accumulate stuff. You know, they're like magnets for stuff. So really be ruthless, especially if space is tight, especially if you don't have much space outside the house. You know, be super ruthless about that. And then do look at storage solutions. Again, now there's great solutions for sort of combined storage units you can buy that will take bikes. Add, you can put your bins in there and even store some garden bits and bobs mm. or maybe the hoover for the car or whatever you need. And paint them all up and, and make paint it look them all like up. it's a feature. Exactly. And you can even add tied. yeah, add planters or little little flower boxes or things like that and dress them up if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just, just making it kind of neat and tidy yeah. uh, and all of that. Okay. Now, uh, while we're on the subject of uh, keeping things neat and tidy, uh, we had... Ross O'Sullivan in before the break and we were talking all things collectibles. He was talking about the price of Barbie dolls and Furbies and Pokemon (laughs) cards and all that. Anyway, I know interior designers uh, normally have you know, go into the terrors when they see this kind of thing. (laughs) You know, I just want to display a hundred dining plates on my wall please, um, Miss O'Connor. What what do you come across in your business and is your does your heart sink when you see dolls and toys coming out for display? I suppose it really depends. I mean, we have seen some amazing, you know, people with amazing collections. Like we did a house for a sculptor many years ago and he just had these rooms full of these incredible pieces that were just stored, you know, in, in kind of a junk room. So what we did for him, they had a very long, narrow hallway and we just put lots of floating shelves with nice lights and he could display all his bits and pieces and then he would rotate them kind oh, of like a gallery. Okay. But what was lovely was that was just like a, a space that everybody had to move through to go through the house. So they all got to appreciate these bits and pieces that have been tucked away, you know, for years and years. Right. Well, now that's one thing being a fabulous yes. sculpture and doing that. It's different. <laughs> Barbie dolls are a different thing. Yeah. Are they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, dolls are tricky because people have different uh, reactions when they see dolls. I guess the first thing to do is look at the collection if it's very vast be very ruthless and say, are these in great condition? You know, I mean, you don't want to be displaying lots of things with missing arms and missing legs. And Some people find the whole display of dolls a bit creepy. Yeah, it can be very creepy. It really can. But I suppose <laughs> if you contain it, maybe, you know, that's an ideal thing for, say, a display cabinet, something like that in a very specific location. But maybe, you know, if there's great value in these things, it really is worth looking into Getting rid of them. Getting Is that where you're going? Yeah, <laughs> I was never really a fan of dolls, even when I was small. Yeah, right. So, OK. Yeah. And what are the kind of, what are the maddest things that people collect that they're insistent upon showing the at the world? The thing I ever saw, and it was actually with a framer that we would use a lot to, to get artworks framed. And it was a man who, um, his grandmother had passed away and they had taken up the carpet. So it was one of those carpets that you might remember, you know, with, in older houses with m- millions of colours and swirls and lots yeah. of rust and orange <laughs> and brown and everything. And he brought it in and he had chop- He wanted to chop it up into small pieces and give a bit to everybody in the family because Ooh. all the kids remember playing on this carpet when they were very small. Oh, but what the framer did was he cut tiny, tiny pieces and framed them really beautifully. Okay. And they actually looked like little abstract pieces of art. It was really, really clever. And then they all had this little memory of their, their granny's home. Oh, so I thought I that was actually where, okay. where I was sort of 
horrified that someone would want to clean his carpet. <laughs> it was a lovely, lovely uh, sentiment behind it. So it was a really nice right. thing to do. God yeah. bless creativity. <laughs> all right, Denise uh, O'Connor, thanks a million thanks, for uh, joining us on the show. And you can find all about uh, Denise and her fabulous ideas uh, on Optimise Design and Optimise Home. Yes. Isn't that it? All right. Thanks, up on Instagram. And that's all we have time for on this latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly, I think, covered an eclectic mix of uh, subjects, everything from uh, skulls to Barbie's bendy legs. Uh, don't forget all of our shows are up on podcast now in the News Talk app, which is barred by Go Loud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we are on at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning on News Talk Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with us at any stage, it's the home show at Newstalk.com. I'd like to thank you for Breen producing this week and Stephen McLoon was on sound and we'll do it all again on the next episode next week. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint. On News Talk.